0: Thank you for listening to the Bend ICOC Podcast. Talking about communion, but not only talking about communion. So the whole month of September, we're going to touch on some of those teachings, talk about how we can commune more deeply with Jesus, how we can practice that in the house church. But we also want to make it applicable for today. We also want to preach the gospel. We also want to meet the needs of the church. So it's going to be a combination of that throughout the month. Today we're talking about uh, covenant meals in the Old Testament. We're going to take a look at that. Uh, Then I believe next Sunday we'll focus a little more on Passover and fellowship meals or fellowship sacrifices. There's a lot of great stuff there. And we're looking at the table aspect, the meal aspect of all of these things. Going into third Sunday out, we'll be looking at the table ministry of Jesus. Almost half his ministry, half the things he said was done around a table. And then from there, looking at the book of Acts, the early church, how they lived it out for the New Covenant Church, the New Testament Church, how are we going to have communion around the table? So we're looking at all those things, and you can get into a lot, but we want to focus on Jesus at the end of the day, that it begins and ends with him. So rewind before all of that, um, before all of that looking ahead right now in September, just rewind back to, okay, Bible, Old Testament... Jesus, he's establishing these covenants, but even before that, what happened in the very beginning? God, the Spirit, the Word, Jesus, that's right. God had this, this fellowship, this community, the Holy Spirit and Jesus, this Trinity to have communion with. And, and then he decided to create us, right? He decided to have people on this planet. Why did he create us? For his glory, I like it. The chief end of man for, for his pleasure, I like it as well. And yet, for, for that pleasure, that glory, that relationship, God already had that within the Trinity. So he created us not because he was lacking anything or because he needed us necessarily, but he created us because he wanted to. He created us to share some of the community, some of the relationship that he already had from the very beginning. And as we get into the Old Testament today, we'll see how we first embrace that relationship and then mess it up a little bit and... He reveals himself even further in the New Testament. You can turn over to Second Chronicles, those where we're going to begin today. And first, I-, I want to throw out this question: What is a covenant?: like a contract Contracts?: Yeah, definitely kind of legal obligation. A relational contract, a promise. And-, and there are promises that come with it, but then there's parts of that contract that we have to uphold. There's some things we have to do to keep that contract to keep those promises. With it, ratifying the covenant, who knows what they do. If you cut a covenant with somebody, how would you mark that? How would you celebrate that, establish that with somebody else? Kelly. All right, I'll go for it. A blood path. <laughs> Not a war path or anything like that, but what she means in a path of blood is they would sacrifice animals. They, they cut them open, they'd actually tore in half. Cut the covenant, cut the animal. And they line them up in an aisle, and it was to walk between that so that you could really look at those animals and say, all right, if I mess up in this covenant, then I'm cursed, then I deserve what happened to these animals. I deserve to be torn in two. And so you get that visual imagery in cutting the covenant, and you walk through that, literally, in cutting the covenant. So in context of Old Testament, Old Covenant, that's what you have. You have that with Noah, right? Abraham, who else did God have a covenant with? The Israelites, absolutely, absolutely. It's awesome, you guys are so smart, we established most of the history right there. <laughs> and it's a lot of stuff going into it. So over in Second Chronicles, we're going to read. In the cutting of the covenant, they have these covenant meals, they have covenant sacrifices. So we're going to focus more on the different types of sacrifices next Sunday, but today we're going to look at the dedication of the temple. And they they celebrated a festival there. They also just celebrated the temple. They, They also celebrated dedication of their relationship with God, what God was doing there. So many elements coming into one place, but it's a great example, a great exemplification of how God wants to have a relationship with us, how we should atone in that relationship, but also celebrate that relationship. So we're going to be over in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. I'm going to skip around a little bit, but go ahead and get your Bible out in front of you. Share it with your neighbor next to you if you don't have a Bible in front of you. And Second Chronicles chapter five. It says, "When all the work Solomon had done for the temple of the Lord was finished," and that's our setting. Solomon building the temple. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Verse six. King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle. That they cannot be recorded or counted. Quite a lot of sacrifice going on. Up in verse 13. I'll start in verse 12. All the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, uh, jeduthun and their sons and relatives stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests, surrounded trumpets, The trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by the trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, the singers raised their voices and praised the Lord and sang, He is good, His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of God filled the temple of God. And then Solomon begins his prayer. Jump ahead into chapter 6 and verse 12. And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. Now he had made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and it placed in the center of, it placed in the, center of the outer court. He stood on the platform and then knelt down before the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands toward them, and he said. So just to summarize a little bit, because we are stepping around, it's the start of the dedication of the temple. Finally, everything that's been gathered for really a whole generation before to build this temple, it's all coming together. And it actually happens to coincide with the Feast of Tabernacles. So you got two celebrations coming into one right here. Solomon begins to pray, and you see him, he's at an altar right here. God is coming down, he fills it with his holy presence, with the cloud. So Solomon's about to pray, and it's before the altar where these first sacrifices take place, but we're about to see where they kind of move, and the sacrifices, they become a little more varied, and they take on a different significance. In chapter 6, verse 18, but really, Will God really dwell on earth with humans? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet, Lord my God, give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. Hear the cry and the prayer your servant is praying in your presence. And Solomon continues throughout chapter 6 that this is a place for God to hear our prayers for those who have separated themselves from the world, but also not only Israelites, for those who are exiled into Israel, for those who are foreigners, to come to this temple that God may hear their prayers, that he may hear their atonement, that they may sacrifice on this altar. All right, chapter 7 is where we're getting into the meat of it. When Solomon finished praying, it's quite a long prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord, because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with fear, their faces to the ground. They worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, His love endures forever." Just to slow it down right there. What other time do we see in the Word that this fire from heaven, heaven comes down on earth? Pentecost? Pentecost? Yeah, the, the New Covenant Church, right? church we're in today. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, exactly. Pretty cool. It fills the temple. He finishes his prayer. They give a burnt offering. Or Really, God burns the burnt offering, this fire coming down. But a burnt offering is totally consumed, totally burned away, totally given to God. Mm-hmm. Burnt to a crisp. We'll continue verse 4. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord, even more of them. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 head of cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. So the king and all the people dedicated the temple of God. The priests took their positions, as did the Levites, with the Lord's musical instruments, which King David had made for praising the Lord and which were used when he gave thanks, saying, His love endures forever. Opposite the Levites, the priests blew their trumpets, and all the Israelites were standing. Solomon consecrated the middle part of the courtyard in front of the temple of the Lord, and there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the fellowship offerings, because the bronze altar he had made could not hold the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat portions. So what's going on here is this altar that they had built in the temple, it's not enough for, what was that, 22,000 head of cattle? For, for all of this livestock that's being brought in. And this isn't a normal thing. This is a, a huge celebration. They're sacrificing so much right here. Not only in the burnt offerings. Which remember a couple of chapters ago. He said we couldn't even count how much we gave to the burnt offerings. So what they have to do is he consecrates the, the courtyard in front of the temple. He says okay we just got to start burning offerings right here as well. There, there's no way we're going to fit all of this on to the altar. It describes there the the fat portions of the fellowship offerings and and even more burnt offerings, but also those fellowship offerings. We'll get into that more next Sunday, but a fellowship offering, for God you would burn some of the, a few of the different organs, but definitely the fat of the animal and, and perhaps some of the blood and some of those elements, but the part that was meat, you'd probably give part of it to the Levites and the priests in the temple, and then the other majority of the fellowship offering you would take back home for your home. For your family to eat. So you could celebrate this fellowship with God. So you have the burnt offering, which is more the sin offering. That's the atonement. That's on the altar. It's saying, God, I'm sorry. I want to repent. I want to be in this relationship with you. But then you have the fellowship offering. You have the Lord, thank you for being in this fellowship, this relationship with me. For having this covenant with me. And so it's interesting. You think about it. In a fellowship offering, I'm not just going to go and bring two head of cattle and say, okay, this is, I guess I'm going to eat this alone now. (laughs) I'm probably going to share it with other people, especially because they don't have refrigerators back then, right? So you would share it with your household. You would share it with your clan. You would share it with your neighbors. They have 22,000 head right there of cattle among the other sheep and goats and other sacrifices. It's communal. It's shared amongst all of them This fellowship offering." There's nobody eating their own cow off in the corner, feeling sorry for themselves. They're all celebrating together. They're singing to God. They're blowing their trumpets. We'll pick it back up. Solomon consecrated the middle part of the courtyard. Uh, verse 8. So Solomon observed the festival at that time for seven days, and all Israel with him. A vast assembly, people from Lebo Hamath to the Wadi of Egypt, On the eighth day, they held an assembly, for they had celebrated the dedication of the altar for seven days and the festival for seven days more. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people to their their homes, joyous and glad in heart for the good things the Lord had done for David and Solomon and for his people, Israel. And that finishes the account. Thanks for bearing with me of the dedication of the temple there in Chronicles lasted for 14 days because they celebrated the temple for seven days and then the other festival for the other seven days. They went home joyous. They went home in celebration for what God had done for them. In celebration of this covenant. Celebration that it could last for generations, be upheld forever through them, not limited to their fathers before them. God was continuing. And so I focus on that meal aspect there and the dedication of the temple as it, they reflect on that covenant relationship with God, focus on the meal aspect, also focus on the joy, that they went away joyful. Yes, they had the, the atoning sacrifice that we can have today in communion. We can have those atoning thoughts looking at the altar of God. But I, I'd say this, the altar of God, the atonement, was for communion with us, was for relationship with us. The Old Testament sacrifices and then Jesus' sacrifice today His atonement, that reconciliation, it was a means to have relationship, communion with us, fellowship with us. It was a means to celebrate with us, to have communion with us, to have joy with us. And so the result of those sacrifices at the altar, the result of that covenant with Him, is that we get to have the relationship with Him. We get to have the communion with Him. We get to celebrate that sacrifice that was made by Him. And so sometimes we can reverse that a little bit where we go, okay, I want to focus on the altar, and I almost want to replace the fellowship part, and replace the the thanksgiving aspect with, I feel like I need to focus entirely on atonement to get back to what Jesus already did for us. I'll get into that later, but we want to obtain our own righteousness to feel righteous before Jesus. Amen? Mm -hmm. So they rededicate the temple temple is destroyed, unfortunately. As joyous as that was, they're brought into captivity. Hundreds of years, generations, they come back, right? Over in the book of Ezra, this is a much shorter account. In fact, I'll ask a volunteer to read. Who wants to read Ezra chapter 6 verses 13 through 22 for us? Then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles, celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy For the dedication of this house of God, they offered a hundred bulls, two hundred rams, four hundred male lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, twelve male goats, one for each of the tribes of Israel. And they installed the priests in their divisions, and the Levites in their groups for the service of God at Jerusalem, according to what is written in the book of Moses. Verse 19, On the fourteenth day of the first month, the exiles celebrated the Passover, The priests and Levites had purified themselves and were all ceremonially clean. The Levites slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the exiles, for their relatives, the priests, and for themselves. So the Israelites who had returned from the exile ate it, together with all who had separated themselves from the unclean practices of their Gentile neighbors, in order to seek the Lord, the God of Israel. For seven days they celebrated with joy, festival of unleavened bread, because the Lord had filled them with joy by changing the attitude of the king of Assyria, so that he assisted them in the work on the house of God, the God of Israel. Context here in rebuilding the temple. What's the atmosphere? What's their emotion? What are they feeling? Are they going through? Max. They are, uh, it's a mix of emotions. I mean, they definitely yeah. got blessed. Um, by being able to rebuild the city. If, if you guys don't know the story, uh, they were sent into exile, and then Nehemiah was uh, the cupbearer of the king. And at one one day he was led by God, feeling bold, and asked the king, can, we, can I send my people back to try and rebuild our our city? Rebuild our... Uh, home? Yeah. And so the king said yes, and then gave him all the provisions to do so. So they went and they, they tried to rebuild it, and see, like, had a lot of oppression from just the surrounding countries and everything. So, as they're going, they're like, Well, we're glad to be here. They've had a lot, like, they've worked hard for this. This is uh, something that's really been in, in the making. Yeah. Yeah. That's the context and mixed emotions. Exactly right. Exactly right. Just was this temple as big or grand as the temple that had come before it? No. And, and we even saw the, the number of the sacrifices. They don't have all the resources that they had yeah. to even sacrifice and give to God. But they still give to God. They still yeah. sacrifice, what they can it says they celebrated the ted- dedication of the house of God with joy. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, Mixed Motion says they also took up a sin offering. Mm-hmm. They also had that sacrifice. But then they dedicated the temple with joy. And later on, they slaughter the Passover lamb. Now, Passover, what's some of the emotions that go into Passover? What's the context of Passover? In celebration, in Kelly said the experience with God. When they celebrate Passover, they would recount Passover. They'd go through Passover. They'd recount the story of Passover, how God delivered them. And it was an experience with God. Yes, it was a remembrance, but it was also relationship in context. It's also, wow, this is what God did for us. It says they did this even with Gentile neighbors who wanted to seek the Lord. And they continued in joy. So you have atonement serving communion and then our communion and celebration of that atonement. And the context of Passover, it's the same thing as Kelly said in that experience. Our covenant partnership with God We fulfill our commitments, and yes, he gives us his promises, but did the Israelites, or did we in the Old Testament, always live up to these covenants? Or at all, live up to these covenants? No, so that's a big problem, right? Mm -hmm. We can never obtain our righteous end of that contract, right? Mm -hmm. Amen? No matter how hard we tried, right? So if we turn to the New Testament, I think we find a few answers. Let's turn over to John 6. Jesus fulfills all of these covenants Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. through many different prophecies, actually. He becomes the one they're looking for. When Abraham, when Noah, when others (laughs) could not fulfill this covenant, Jesus took actions to exemplify and say, hey, I am the fulfillment that Abraham failed at, that others had failed at. And ultimately, I'd say this about the Old Testament, about the Israelites, it's, it's difficult to be in relationship with someone, to be in covenant with someone if you don't really know them, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you just have a, a guilty, sinful-feeling relationship with them, right? Mm-hmm. If you're only giving these burnt offerings and sin offerings. Mm-hmm. If you never have the celebration, or I'll say the grain offerings and the fellowship yeah. offerings, it can be a little difficult. Mm-hmm. So God gives further revelation And a new covenant in Jesus. Amen. John chapter 6. I was talking with uh, Tyler Graham in Missoula about the scripture earlier in the week. John chapter 6 verses 28 through 29. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Pretty straightforward when we're trying to go about all these works. When we might look at the Old Testament and go, that's a lot of commands, right? That's a lot of, of bulls they sacrificed. I don't know if I can do that. But here, in, in context, the people want food, right? If you read the, the paragraph before Jesus just fed the 5,000 not long ago, they're saying, hey, we want some of that power. We want some of that glory. We want more of that food. We want more of those miracles. We want more of those blessings. We want some of those promises that were thrown out in the Old Testament. So, okay, what, what can we do? How can we just get our end of the bargain? What do we have to do? What's the formula? What's the system? What's mm-hmm. the, the XYZ? Jesus, mm-hmm. just tell us. What works do we have to do so we can perform some of the works you just did? We want some of that. What does Jesus tell him? Believe. What does Jesus mean by that? Just believe. Does he mean, hey, just believe in me and mean you guys are fine? Yeah. It, it's called to a deeper belief, right? Mm-hmm. A belief that he's doing the work. Belief is, when, in Jesus' context, is never really just like a feeling or a thought. It's, mm-hmm. It requires action. It requires mm-hmm. you know, an actual following. Not like a, well, yeah, yeah I, I believe. Yeah, okay, going on with my life. Mm-hmm. That's not what Jesus yeah. ever... An actual following. I, I think the closest two English words I've attached to it is a trust and obey type mm-hmm. of belief. Mm-hmm. Trusting and obeying in Jesus, but... Actions will follow. And it's not reversing that. It's not the actions to get to Jesus or the words or, hey, what works can I perform to obtain what you have, Jesus, or to be in relationship with you? No, we should focus on Jesus and then the words will be second nature to us. The actions will become second nature. It'll flow from that. The burden will be easy. This past week, I, I kind of fell into, well, I'll call it a rut, uh, or discouragement, or so many different things. Uh, you know, I should be vulnerable. It was all those things. It was me saying, hey, what works can I perform? What works do you require for righteousness? Because I, I feel like all these problems arose. We were, um, we were meeting at a coffee shop, and then they said, hey, too many of you aren't buying coffee, so you can't meet here anymore. So we have to start meeting on the grass. And okay, okay, roll up the punches. And we had park service a week ago, and um, another ch- there's a mix-up in the reservations, so then we had to meet on the grass there, too. It's like, okay, okay, roll with the punches. And then our, our neighbors over at the right near home, we were throwing too many parties, and they had a noise complaint and a parking complaint. I said, oh, no. And so our property management got mad at us, and I said, okay, roll with the punches. But felt like there's all these things to run after, all these things to do. All of these things to veer off on, where I wanted to go and do the work and figure it out, and kind of rely on my own strength, and kind of get burnt out on that, even rather than relying on God. Can I get a volunteer to read really quickly? 1 Corinthians chapter three, verses ten through eleven. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. It was amazing to me how quickly even this week, and even feeling overwhelmed with, okay, I got to, you know, plan a midweek, Sunday sermon, just some ministry, things like that. Have a time here or there. But it was amazing to me how quickly I could veer off of the foundation of Jesus onto all these other words, onto wanting really to go back to the law, back to my flesh. Rather than trusting in Jesus, wanting to have a self-sufficiency, saying, hey, I can do the work. I got this one. But we can't have that foundation. And you know, I think it's very relevant as we start the church here in Bend, as we, we look at how they started these temples of the Lord, and how they rededicated the temple. They started it in celebration, and communion with one another, in deep relationship with God. We really need to focus in on that deep relationship with Jesus. And I definitely faltered there this week, not focusing on that deep relationship with him. And and so Tyler Grimm and I were speaking on that passage in John chapter 6 and really said what we're called to do, what we're called to call people to do in our in our churches is to repent of our repentance. That's Tyler, and I really like it. And I say if you were left thinking one thing today, repent of your repentance. What I mean by that is we often think of repentance And say, okay, I'm going to repent. So what are the tasks? What are the actions? (laughs) What are the things I need to do? Show me the scripture. Where do I need to obey? Just, I want to do it. Or sometimes we can have the change of mind. Okay, I know I need to repent. And so I'll just start going through the motions, right? But we need to repent of our repentance because it's much more difficult for me in my human nature. I need to repent to Jesus. I need to strive for that. It's much more difficult for me to focus on the person, the character of Jesus, Mm -hmm. the reign of Jesus in my life. It's much more easy for me to go to a system, (laughs) to go to what do I need to do, Mm -hmm. rather than what is Jesus already doing and how can I partner with him? Mm -hmm. How can I be in covenant with him? How can I celebrate that communion with him? Mm -hmm. So guys, we can't only have the mind change. And I'll share another quick story. Max and I were sharing our faith yesterday morning. We are walking around, uh, sharing around in the old mill district. And we ran into a person telling him about house church. And he said, yeah, I go to a church. And it's amazing that you guys are out here sharing your faith. I think that's awesome. I, but do you guys talk about Jesus? And I said, yeah. And how do you see Jesus in your life? Well, he said, right now we're fishing for people. And we met you and we're talking about Jesus. And it's this great experience. And, and this guy who's sort of disillusioned with his own fellowship, his own gathering, he said, yeah, you know, well, I feel like there's a lot of people in my church that are just dead in the pews. Mm -hmm. And I try to talk to them about Jesus, but they have dust on their Bibles. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of, and he he started even joking. He said, you know, if if my church falls apart or they kick me out, I'll just come to yours. (laughs) And um, you don't often hear that from people in other churches, but he had some great thoughts. I said, yeah, well, we love being in discipling relationships with one another. But mostly having that discipling relationship with Jesus. That's what we're calling each other to. So it's amazing we've got to have that interaction. So say, yeah, we're not dead in the pews or dead to our works or dead going through motions. And I hope our church never gets there. I hope we can always have an element of being small like this. Being close like this with one another. and close with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Start out the church here in Bend. Thank you guys for hopefully being inspired a little bit by this lesson today of where we can focus on our atonement, but also the celebration of that atonement, just in looking at the meal aspect of these covenants, of these temple dedications, of that Passover, and then the good news of what Jesus came to give us today, believing in that good news, believing in Jesus. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bend ICOC Podcast.